Grace and peace today as we continue our time of worship together. So wonderful to see all of you who are gathered here in the sanctuary for worship. And also wonderful to see all of you who are online watching this morning via our live stream. Or those who will be watching later today as uh, maybe you're out of town and you'll be getting an opportunity to watch the live stream uh, later in, in the day today. I invite you now to follow along as I read the scripture for the message from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. The words will be on the screen, and you might also be following along on your device at home. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me. Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, says Jesus, Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My birthday and Father's Day are just a couple of days apart. Sometimes they're on the same day, depending on what year it is. And knowing that I enjoy baseball and reading about baseball, Isabella, my 16-year-old daughter, gave me the new biography on Yogi Berra that came out this year. It's entitled, Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask. By the way, side note, though Behind the Mask is part of the title of the book, How appropriate is it for baseball this season and for all of us as we navigate this season of the pandemic? Yogi, a life behind the mask. I'm about halfway through it. I've really been enjoying it. If you don't know much about baseball, Yogi Berra is probably the greatest catcher that ever played the game. He played for the Yankees. He overcame all sorts of odds from ridicule from fans, ridicule from sports writers because of his 
parents who were immigrants from Italy, because of his appearance, because of his perceived lack of intelligence, because of his speech, and so forth. Yet, he became one of the greatest players ever to play the game. He played, he is listed among the, great, the greats of Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, who were teammates of his, Jackie Robinson, Hank Aaron, and others, just to name a few. Yogi at the plate, when he was catching, would chatter and try to distract the batter. Sometimes he would carry on a conversation with them and just try to get them off track. The New York Yankees and the Milwaukee Braves were playing in the 1957 World Series, and Barra, as usual, was up to his ceaseless chatter to pep up his teammates and to try to distract the Milwaukee batters. And when hitter Hank Aaron stepped up to the plate for the Braves, Yogi tried to distract him by saying, quote, Henry, you're holding the bat wrong. You're supposed to hold it so that you can read the trademark. Aaron didn't say anything, but when the next pitch came, he hit it into the bleachers. Home run. After rounding the bases and tagging home plate, Aaron, Hank Aaron looked at Yogi Berra and said, Yogi, I didn't come here to read. The story about Yogi Berra and Hank Aaron plays out much in the same way as our gospel story. Peter is the disciple known for his ceaseless chatter, always something to say, always trying to fill up space with words. Jesus reveals to his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 21, that he must go to Jerusalem. This is a shift in the, in the, in the gospel narrative, a shift in the gospel of Matthew. He moves from teaching his disciples, and you remember last Sunday he gathered with them at Caesarea Philippi, and Peter made his conf- Simon made his confession of Jesus as Messiah, acknowledging who Jesus was and is. And then here now, after having his name become Peter, is telling Jesus what to do. Jesus must suffer at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And he says to his disciples that he will be killed. And on the third day that he would be raised. Jesus, if you will uh, permit the cliche, had outlined his game plan. Jesus had outlined his purpose. Although he had been sharing some of this all along the way. Here in this passage, there's a shift And he focuses on what is to come, that he, following God's leadership, God's will for his life, would journey to the cross to give his life for you and me. And then Peter begins his chatter. Jesus' own teammate tries to distract Jesus from his mission. Having so recently been confirmed in his belief that Jesus is the Messiah, He, for some reason, or maybe it's just ignorance, I probably would have said the same thing. Peter cannot understand this dramatic news. Unlike Yogi Berra, Peter did not 
try to distract Jesus in front of all the other disciples, the other teammates. Rather, he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him in private. Perhaps Peter thought to himself, maybe Jesus is just having a bad day. After all of this work, the healings, casting out of demons, feeding the multitudes, teaching us, maybe he just really, he's exhausted, he needs a break. Maybe he woke up on the wrong side of the cot. But he feels a huge responsibility to prevent Jesus from making any quick decisions while he's in this funk, this short-term season of depression. He tries to be a gentleman about the whole thing, rebuking Jesus quietly, but he rebuked Jesus nonetheless. One commentator suggests that, Jesus, that while Peter addresses Jesus as Lord, he treats him as a fallen Lord who must be helped to his feet. Peter rebukes Jesus just as Jesus rebuked the wind rebuked the sea, rebuked a demon. The same Greek word is used in all three places. Peter takes charge and repudiates in the strong possible language, using the same kind of language the Son of Man used to rebuke nature when the disciples were being tossed about on the Sea of Galilee by the wind and the waves. The disciple who had recently deified the Lord now denies him. And this begs the question, how often do I deify Jesus with my lips and then deny him with my actions? How often do I say, Jesus is Lord, you are Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then I turn around and deny him with my lips and actions? If the devil can use Peter to try and distract Jesus' work, he'll try to use Bob Lee too. He'll try to get a toehold in our lives too. We have the luxury of knowing the whole of the gospel story and shouldn't be surprised that Peter fails to understand Jesus' mission to the cross. The apostle uh, uh, later understands the mission. But right there at that moment, he played God. This Holy Spirit power that is available to us, we will see later revealed to Peter. And he would understand and he would follow through with God's call on his life. We talked about this last week, about how many people came to Christ and became part of the church as the book of Acts records because of Peter's faithful preaching and leadership. After seeing and hearing the resurrected Christ, Peter would begin to understand, but in our story today, the devil is trying to get a toehold in the life of one of Jesus' own teammates to score a victory for the adversary. The word in the Greek New Testament used here, uh, Satan, Hasatan in the Hebrew, 
it's translated as adversary. You can, also, you can also use that word. But Jesus responded very clearly to Peter. He responded to him like Hank Aaron did to Yogi Berra. He made his purpose very clear. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, adversary. And then Jesus said, you are a stumbling block to me. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus turns to confront Peter face to face, which sounds as if Peter had been physically positioned behind him all the time. Get behind me, Satan. Now Jesus demands that Peter move behind him spiritually as well as physically. Jesus' words are reminiscent of his response to Satan when Satan tempted him for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness after Jesus' baptism. And you remember after the end, at the end of the temptation, Jesus said, Away with you, Satan. The difference is that Jesus commanded Satan to move away or to depart while he commands Peter to get behind me. He's not calling Peter the devil. He's acknowledging that the adversary has gained a toehold in a well-intending disciple, and Jesus acknowledges that and is trying to help Peter get into his proper place as a disciple, which is behind Jesus following rather than out in front of Jesus telling Jesus what the will of God is for his life. When he said, Jesus, this shall not happen to you, he was stepping in to the place of God, telling Jesus what Jesus, what God's will was. And Jesus very clearly and quickly gets things right. You and I are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to imitate Christ, as Paul says. We are not to get out in front of Jesus to try to dictate what is God's will for the church. One commentator says, Satan is any force trying to deflect Jesus from his God-given path to the cross. Another question for me and for all of us is how often do we stand in front of Jesus rather than behind him in obedience? How often do we get in someone else's way as they walk with the Lord? How often do, I, do we become a stumbling block with our ceaseless chatter and our careless ways? It's problematic that many Christians have good intentions but end up working for the adversary. Unknowingly, most often. Isaiah 55, 8 writes, for, and these are the words of the Lord, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways, my ways, says the Lord. Anytime that we put our ways before God's ways, we can check up a score for the other team. Churches got to be careful about this too. Jesus prayed that churches would be unified in John 17. Jesus desires that you and I would be the answer to that prayer, that there would be unity and collaboration in the church, the big C church and the little C church. 
that churches all over the world would collaborate together on the same mission, although we do things differently and we have different styles of worship and liturgies and particular mission calls to mission and so forth. But wouldn't it be just incredible if God's church throughout the world wasn't loyal to Donald Trump or loyal to Joe Biden? But wouldn't it be wonderful if we were loyal to Jesus Christ and we came together to see what good we could do in this world together rather than allowing partisan politics so often to divide our congregations? I think that's one of the challenges that the church and the adversary can gain a toehold in a congregation or in the big C church even if we allow partisan politics to get in the way. We are citizens of heaven first and foremost. And I pray that our, our uh, biblical, te the biblical teachings and our biblical worldview would help guide us as we serve our country and seek to be citizens and go to the polls. But we, as God's children, must come together as one body to be the answer that Jesus prayer in John chapter 17. We are in the wilderness, folks. This pandemic that took my father's life and has taken the life of a number of people whom you know and your family members, uh, this is, this is a, a wilderness. We are in unprecedented times. And we are uh, navigating, led by the Holy Spirit, often trying to uh, feel our way blindly down the wall as we figure out how we are supposed to do all of this. And this is a time for the church to come together, to be one, and to seek the will of God, not to allow the pandemic to have the victory. I hope that makes sense to you. This is a time for us to come together in the Word of God and in prayer and in spirit and truth. It's called synergy. When a church is able to focus on following the Holy Spirit rather than all of the, the other things like how big our buildings are, how many people come to church, and all of these kinds of things, how much money comes in the plate. Those are, those are important, but not the most important things at all. When a church comes together, it's a synergy. It's working together. Power is generated when we focus. It's like a laser beam. Light is concentrated on one target. And that simple light beam can cut through steel. It's that same laser intensity that Jesus responded with to Peter when he said, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus knew his purpose, and he knew that nothing would get in the way of his journey to the cross, the road of suffering. This brings us to one final question, and that is, what is distracting us, me, us, from following Jesus? In other words, what has power over us that can cause us to stumble? A rocky past, maybe Maybe we just can't forgive ourselves. And we are missing the blessing that God has for our lives because we can't seem to forgive ourselves and allow God's grace to redeem that which was broken and hurt for good. Maybe it's a, a relationship that was in your past and it has a stronghold on you. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's racism. There's prejudice in your past and and you still struggle. We still struggle with that. Uh, it might be lust. It might be addictions or addictive behaviors. Uh, 
the, the desire to have the things that the people across the street have, material stuff, uh, doubts. I, I could go on. It could be uh, poor self-image, poor self-worth, and the adversary gets a toehold there and causes you to miss the promise of God that he knew your name while you were in your mother's womb and he has plans and a purpose for you. Until we acknowledge that we are powerless over these things, we will not overcome them. We must accept God's resurrection power that defeated the grave and that, brought, that wrote, helped uh, bring Jesus to life after death. Uh, this same power is available to you and me today. Jesus reveals that power in this story, and he wants you and me to grasp it today, and all we have to do is open our hands and receive it and accept it. God helps us in the same way God helped Jesus. Power to confront the adversary. Get behind me, Satan. If there is something that is not of God, and, and you're experiencing it, you just go back and read that passage from Romans that Pastor Philip read a little earlier. Read the context to it. Uh, read Galatians chapter 5. Uh, read the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit and the contrast with the, ad, the ways of the flesh. Um, when we are confronted with those things that are contrary to the love of God and Jesus Christ... We can say, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. My mom taught me that prayer when I was a teenager. She, she said, Bobby, whenever you are in a situation where you need strength, pray this prayer. Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Simple as that. That little simple prayer. Confront the adversary. Put the adversary in his place and claim the power of the risen Lord. We can also define our distractions. Name it. Acknowledge it. Name it sometimes. Write it down in a journal. Write down your, our struggles. You can tear the paper up. Throw it away if you want to. So we confront the adversary. We name our distractions. Name it. And give it to the Lord. And then we deny self. Deny self in our selfish ways. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Jesus taught this great reversal where losing was winning. Being poor is being rich. And suffering is serving. Every moment of every day we seek to say no to self and to say yes <clears throat> to God. Thomas of Akempis wrote that this means, quote, we must give up everything, especially ourselves, retaining no private store of selfish desires. And last, we would develop with God's help into authentic disciples and to take up the cross and follow Jesus. God's power can help us to live like Jesus. We are to imitate him. As we seek to follow him, not standing out in front, but behind as disciples should be behind their teacher. The key word here is to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be a, a disciple, to follow Jesus. The Christian life begins <coughs> when, 
when we first start to take up our cross and follow Jesus, and we rely on his power, not our own. God's power frees us from the fear of death. God's power frees us from the bondage of materialism. God's power strengthens us when temptation comes. God's power gives us integrity in the face of temptation. It increases our self-worth through serving others, being the hands and feet of Christ. And it turns our weaknesses into strength. The Apostle Paul himself said, when I am weak, then I am strong. So I want to offer a prayer for all of us today. And I, I, um, I would like us simply to do this in just a moment. Whether you are um, here in the sanctuary or watching at home. Now, if you're driving, don't shut your eyes. But I'm going to ask you to, well, if you're driving, I hope you're not watching. Hope somebody else is sitting there. So we, we, you got me. But I, um, I, I want us to shut our eye, close our eyes, and I have a prayer And I will say a phrase, and then I invite you to say the same phrase after me. It's a prayer of declaration as we confront evil in our society today. Let's bow our heads together. And say these words after me to the Lord. I will trust in the covering of your wings. And in the shadow of your wings... I will trust. Be my defense and refuge in times of trouble. I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress, you are my strength. I sing praise to you, for on you I can rely. In Jesus' name, amen.